Welcome to another edition of the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. My name's Will Suter. In this episode, we pick up halfway through Frank Barker's interview with Oyen Bambosi from ResponseTap. They'll be taking a deep dive into tracking the customer journey, sales and marketing metrics, and much more. If you haven't heard it already, do go back and listen to our previous episode for the first part of this fascinating conversation. You work for ResponseTap, which specializes in call tracking software. Do you want to just explain a little bit about what call tracking is to the listeners? Man, where do I start? Um, When people generally hear those words, uh, those two words, call and tracking, like one of the most common reactions is, wait a minute, people still make phone calls? Like, is is that still a thing? (laughs) And the unequivocal answer to that is, is yes. You know, uh, the recent study with, uh, there was a recent study with BIA Kelsey, which showed that phone calls to businesses in 2016 were at 86 billion. And today, that number is about 170 billion. So phone calls to businesses has doubled in the last, you know, four years. Uh, so for me, I guess the way I see it, as every marketer sort of like raced, you know, towards the digital age, you know, this shiny new world where the customer journey is entirely online and digital, they forgot about phone calls. You know, it kind of like reminds me of the movie uh, Home Alone. You remember when Kevin's family all got excited for their holiday and they raced to the airport and they all just kind of like forgot Kevin at home. You know, cold tracking is Kevin. Uh, It's basically a tool that helps marketers gain insight into the PPC keywords, the digital and traditional campaigns that drive inbound phone calls. Right. And I think that's important because phone calls still convert 10 times higher than clicks, you know, according to the uh, famous HubSpot research. So for me, I say to marketers all over, you know, don't forget Kevin. Oh, yeah. Uh, And how, so how does call tracking fit into the overall buyer's journey that we were talking about before? So interestingly, that they actually you could argue three levels to call tracking. You've got the campaign level call tracking, you've got Google call conversion, and then you've got what ResponseTap does, which is, you know, your visitor level call tracking. That's kind of like what it's coined in, in our speak. In terms of how it fits into that sort of like customer journey, if you think about it, the customer journey today is a lot more fragmented. You know, people will, your customer will make several visits to your website before they go in and convert, Right. And generally speaking, there are two ways in which a customer can convert today, right? They can either convert online, i.e. by filling out a form on your website or an e-commerce transaction, you know, adding a product to a basket and checking out, or they can pick up the phone. There's a phone number on your website, they can pick up the phone. So if you think about the buying stages uh, that a customer sort of like goes through, you know, from the awareness phase to the consideration phase, all through to the purchase phase, awareness and consideration take takes place online. But generally speaking, that purchase phase takes place offline, over the phone. You know, so we'll do all that research online, but when it comes time to actually part with money or buy a product or, you know, maybe book that test drive, et cetera, people just tend to pick up the phone. And where cold tracking fits in is it ensures that you're not losing that valuable conversion data. You spend all this money on the front end to get visitors to your website. Why lose them in the last minute when they then convert over the phone? 
because all that happens is your CPA then looks bloated because you're not realizing that you're actually getting all these conversions from your efforts as a digital marketer over the phone. So that's sort of like how it fits into that journey. We know that customers right at that moment where they want to purchase will pick up the phone. So why not ensure that you're you're tracking that and getting visibility of the keywords or the digital campaigns or the pages, you know, on your website that are driving these valuable phone calls into your business. Yeah. You mentioned the, the buyer's journey is is messy nowadays. It's <laughs> big time. Busier than ever. So so how are you able to implement something like multi touch point attribution with call tracking? Mm. With call tracking, when a visitor sort of lands on your website, the software will drop kind of like a 12-month cookie on their browser, right? So what that means is we're kind of tracking the online journey of that visitor. So the keyword they've typed in, the campaign, uh, that the, the channel they've arrived on your website through, all the pages you know that they're viewing. If they leave the website and they come back at a later date through a different channel or whatever the case may be, what, what you know the the software is capturing all those subsequent returning visits. Mm. So the online journey of that customer is already captured, uh, and then of course when they then go on to make the call, that whole journey is pieced together. So in terms of like the attribution modeling, what that then allows you to do is you can start to see all the different channels, all the different touch points that are driving your conversions from start to finish. So a very simple example is a visitor arrives on your website through a generic keyword search term initially. They do a bit of browsing around. They leave the website. They come back at a later date again, maybe through social media, Facebook, let's just say. They leave the website and then finally come back to your website when they're ready to purchase via direct traffic. So they just type in, for example, Azo Network, like straight away. And then they just call into the business. Mm-hmm. What, what uh, call tracking is able to do is piece that entire journey together so that we know the first touch point was this particular keyword. The second touch point was Facebook. The third touch point was direct traffic. So depending on whatever attribution model you use in the business, whether that be first click or last click, you can piece that entire journey together. If it's first click, you've got that data there. You've got the information. If it's uh, you know last click, you know it's direct traffic, etc. So it just allows you to get a holistic view of your marketing performance, as opposed to just focusing on you know maybe just last click or whatever the case may be. You get that whole entire customer journey. Yeah. But with that said, I actually have a question for you, Frankie, on that. You know, as a marketer, how important is the customer journey? I mean, this is a question I've I've had for for a long time. Um, I guess what I'm trying to understand is, you know, is tracking the customer journey for every marketer or is it this, you know, sort of like esoteric uh, concept that's only reserved for the uh, sophisticated marketer? You know, is it overkill for some of these marketers? That's that's a question I've got for you. I suppose it depends. You build it up, you build up your marketing. So, you know, about five years ago, we, although we sold marketing services, we didn't actually have our own marketing department set up so the the carpenter always has the wonky table was the the phrase going around <laughs> um and then we started to build up blog pieces and ebooks and webinars and pieces of marketing collateral so you build up content that you're creating and then the natural next step is to distribute that content so distribute it using social or paid search or organic and then it's only until you get those first two pillars in place that you can you can focus on the analytics and seeing you know who's actually engaging with the content because mm. if, if you've got no content you can't you can't ask those questions so you've got to sort of incrementally build it up but then once you've got a, a sufficient content base like we have now we've got hundreds if not thousands of pages on on azonetwork.com 
we'll, we'll have tens of thousands of visitors a month on on that looking at marketing science solutions. Now, as soon as somebody comes in and they meet certain qualifying criteria, so they're a high quality you know, scoring lead who has serious intent. So we actually split that up as well between, um, well, lead scoring is, is you know it's based on characteristics added to their intent as well. So if you've got a, a marketing director of a US Fortune 500 company, that scores very highly for characteristics. Mm. But if they're not interested in anything or if they've only been on one page, then it's it's a bit of a, a moot point. Right. But if they've got the intent and they're actually really you know, gunning for, or can I have advertising solutions? Can I learn more about email or webinars or virtual events, podcasts even? Um, <laughs> then you, that sort of multiplies it and it gives it a much higher score. But it's it's in that sort of that level of detail that if I can then pass that on to the sales guys and say, look, this one is the it is the VP of marketing from a Fortune 500 company, and they've watched three webinars, they've downloaded the ebook, and they're asking about uh, po- podcasts, for instance. Um, then that's so much more impactful and so much more powerful. There's a story there. As human beings, we're emotional and we're tied to stories, uh, and it's something I try and do in all my marketing is tell stories. You know, even even in the email example that we're talking about before, your four eyes. Yeah. Uh, the introduction, the oh, you're gonna have to help me out here. Introduction, insight, insight, uh, inspire, and then invest. Yeah, you're telling a little story in four lines of an email. In 500 characters, you're telling a story. Yeah. So, but but tying it back to analytics and the customer journey, that's a story. It's where has this customer been? So it's it's so important nowadays. It's something that you wouldn't have been able to even fathom 10 years ago because the technology didn't exist or it was only just coming around. But now it is so important. And and I know the sales guys, when I can give them, I don't know, this guy's been on 200 pages at Azo Network and he's a VP of marketing. It's, it's It just makes the whole job so much easier. Mm, that makes a lot of sense to me. Can I ask one question on top of that then? Please, yeah. Who, that- who's the interviewer here? <laughs> <laughs> what if that guy calls if he calls yeah so he's viewed all these pages he's doing all of that and then if you could tell the sales guy hey look he's on the phone right now he's just he's called he's called in yeah unbelievably powerful you've got their you've got their attention it's not like you're sending an email to them that you know we, we talk about inbound if you've got them on an inbound call and you're able to then pair that up with with their uh their digital journey as well that's incredibly powerful Based off of what you said then, so I guess tracking the customer journey in that sense, after you've built all this content, you spend that time building your content, and then now you you know proliferate out through all these various different mediums, it's important that you are now, you know, I guess, tracking that. So regardless of, should we say, company size, yeah. or whether you're B2B or B2C, is it then fair to say that that customer journey, understanding that is is important? Absolutely, yeah. You can be a small small business or, or you can be a multinational business, but if you've got somebody who is, is showing a high level of interest in your in your company and you can see that they are, you know, they're a perfect fit for you. Right. Anybody who sells anything is going to want to see that. Yeah. You mentioned before or you you're talking about this sort of multi-touch point attribution and uh, with uh mm. with Facebook, who are persona non grata right now, um, <laughs> being part of a global boycott. I don't even know if it's properly harmed them yet. We don't know. Slight dip in the share price, maybe, but they've got that many customers, you know, of all shapes and sizes, that it's it's having a very limited effect. Absolutely. I mean, hopefully they'll soon become accountable for for actions, and I'm sure we'll see action there. <laughs> um, but on multi touch point attribution, say you've got five channels or five touch points, how do you attribute that revenue? Do you give it 100% to the first touch point, last touch point, 
How does it work? You know, that the answer to that question is it's it's up to the marketer. Speaking about response apps specifically, we've got the your generic attribution models in the platform. So you can actually attribute the revenue or the phone call conversion itself, either or, you know, to last click conversion, or you can switch it to first click or first last click or position based or linear, you know, so those attribution models are are already there set up in the platform and you can decide which one works for you. So I guess the key thing is the marketer needs to already have an idea, I guess, of what works for their business, but also the software allows you to compare and contrast the different attribution models. So you could view, for example, Google PPC, uh, figure out how, how many calls you got from Google PPC last click. But then again, contrast that or compare that with, you know, first click. So we've got that sort of like attribution model comparison report in the platform where you can, you can actually compare and contrast and then see which uh, attribution model is providing you with the most conversions, for example. So we're from Google PPC, are we getting most of our conversions last click or is it first click? Or, you know, is it when we switch it to linear, et cetera? So you'd be able to view that information and then start to make those informed decisions as to long-term uh, attribution models, you know, when you're trying to decide which attribution model works best for your business. All right. Um, moving on to, well, back to, to, to managing a sales team. Yeah. When you look at performance, sanity versus vanity metrics, how do you choose which metrics are the most important? When I think of sanity, vanity, I'm always thinking of the marketer straight away. Um, you know, but for, for sales, we very rarely focus on any kind of vanity metrics because it's so results driven. It's very difficult to focus on vanity metrics. Um, some sales leaders may feel that, you know, KPIs are vanity metrics, the number of calls a person has made, the number of emails they've sent, et cetera, are vanity metrics. But I, I disagree completely. I think all of that activity on the front end, you know, uh, helps you measure what you're going to have in the, in, in the back end. So you're trying to build a scalable, predictable, revenue generating business. So all those metrics are important. And again, we touched on this earlier where we talked about removing the ambiguity for the salesperson. When, when you hire someone or you bring like a new SDR into the team, it would be great if you could tell them, look, on average, this is how many calls you need to make, or here's how many emails you need to send in order to actually hit your target. If you can give that sort of information to someone on the front end, you know, all of that is very valuable because again, they have an idea of what they're working towards. And then we can then start to amplify that or uh, turn the knobs at certain instances to then increase the output that we get at the end. So if we understand completely end to end, how many calls someone needs to make that generates X amount of uh, meetings booked. And of those meetings booked, we know what our conversion rate is when we convert those meetings into opportunities. Uh, And then what our conversion rate is as well as we go through the opportunity stages. You know, all of those metrics from end to end are completely valuable. Um, so for me, I yeah, I wouldn't class any sort of like sales metric, well, the, the ones that everyone's familiar with as any of them being vanity. I think they're all sanity metrics, unless you're a business that's not interested in building sort of like a predictable model. Mm, and who wouldn't be? Yeah. So what What about from a marketing perspective then? So when we're looking at metrics, which are the most important metrics that you think marketers should be measuring? Another question for you at this point, if I may. Why and how 
a vanity metrics even a thing? Why in many businesses are they even uh, are, do do they even consider vanity metrics instead of the sanity metrics? Like why would the marketer focus on click through rate more than they would conversion? I think click through rate is a good indicator of the effectiveness of your. If you're talking from an email perspective, the the inputs that you can do, so the the subject, the preheader, who it's from, um, all of those kind of that, that information, how engaging the you know the title is, or or how engaging the display advert is, it it is a measure of all of those things. So that's what what I'd argue from that perspective. Mm. Ultimately, you're tr- you're trying to drive traffic to your website so that they can educate themselves. And then once they get to the top of that funnel, they they work their way down the, your your buyer's journey into um, somebody who's ready to buy. And that might take a while. It might take you know, it might take a week. It might take a year. <laughs> I see. But you've got to put as as much traffic in it at, at the top as possible, and then and then provide the content. So you're accelerating the the rate at which they're learning about your company or about your solution or how you can help them. Yeah. So con- conversion rate is is massively important. But then to, I'd, I'd argue that uh, click-through rate is also important from a marketing standpoint. Mm. So I guess I, I need your help here in terms of understanding whether I'm looking at things too simplistically, right? So when I think of vanity metrics, I'm thinking your clicks, your impressions, uh, you know, the reach of an ad, uh, all that stuff will help you discover, like you, like you were saying earlier, the size of your audience. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I'm thinking... So what? Now help me out here because I'm trying to, I want you to help me understand this. If you have a massive audience and they aren't buying anything, you know, what's the point? Or is that too harsh a view? Right. Let me, let me, let me try and see if I could give you an, I'll, I'll try an example here. So the reason why I think sanity metrics are much better is, okay, they provide you with insights into what's actually raising revenue. So let's say I've got two data sets, one data set, is showing me a list of keywords that got 100 potential buyers to view my ad, yeah? So this data set is showing me a list of keywords, PPC keywords, that got 100 potential buyers to view my ad, okay? The other one tells me a list of keywords that led to 30 buyers. Now, if I was only given the choice to make bidding decisions on one of those data sets, I'd choose the latter every time but again you know i guess is that too simplistic if it's one or the other yes i'd take the 30 um but it is a, a simplistic way of of looking at it i mean both have merits i think right um talk us through it i'd, I'd say it's a classic bird in the hand versus two in the bush <laughs> okay but I, I find that if you're or you're you're just increasing the input from the top end so if, if you're able to optimize it at the at the advert level, yeah, um, or you, if there's ways, different ways along along the buyer journey that you can you can optimize how they receive emails or you know which sort of subject lines they get or which emails they get in a certain cadence. Mm. You know, it's not necessarily one or the other. It can be a combination of the two where you're smoothing the path and you're you're increasing you're increasing the number that get from point A to point B at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fascinating that we can go into this level of detail nowadays because we've got, like you say, the Martech five or six thousand, or yeah. it's probably gone even more nowadays. <laughs> but there's tools for absolutely everything to optimize every step of the buyer journey. Yeah. So, with that said, then what data should you prioritize? Well, personally, I prioritize uh, number of converted sales. Okay. Um, we used to put a lot more emphasis on lead generation. 
But in reality, uh, we probably only pass about 10% of the leads through to sales because of the, you know, I, I don't want to put my name to something that's, that's, you know, another tire kicker or another time waster. I want to make sure that it's, it's got the maximum chance of converting as possible. And, and that ties into, to gating content. So I, I'm going to put, put this one back on you. Where, where do you stand on gating content in creating things like eBooks or, or downloads? Do you insist on, on a, like a, a data barrier or, or are you a bit more sort of free and, and you just sort of want people to consume your content? To answer that question, I'd like to provide a tiny bit of context. I, I listened to, I, again, I forget the podcast. It was your, your podcast. You interviewed um, a, a colleague of yours where he talked about how the role of marketing in many businesses is just sales, where they've literally built two sales teams yeah. as opposed to like a marketing and a sales team. And for me, I, I, I agree with him in the sense that, yeah, we're starting to see that marketing are trying to sell. And I'm not sure if that's the role of marketing. And I know things have changed and, you know, things have moved on, et cetera. So perhaps maybe there's more onus or more responsibility on marketing to try and maybe do some of this selling early. But for me, when I think about marketing as a function, the best thing um, that a marketer can do for me and help me with is when I call a business that when they answer the phone, they go, oh yeah, I've heard of you guys. Brand awareness. <laughs> that for me, they've done their job. If that can, if I can have 10 conversations a day yeah. and nine out of 10 people go, oh yeah, of course we've heard of you guys. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, for me, that's where marketing sits. So the whole lead generation, et cetera, there's so many tools out there now that can help the sales team generate their own leads, you know? So for me, the brand awareness I feel is that that macro level awareness and macro level touch point, I think is way more important than trying to get marketing to gen, to get people to always raise their hands. That's the holy grail. Don't get me wrong. If we could all just sit back and then it's just leads coming in, we have to do nothing. That is the holy grail. But for me personally, if I could just have 10 conversations where nine go, yeah, we know who you are. We've heard of you. Perfect. We had, um, I've been with the business eight years at Azo Network and started off in sales and we used to ring, ring people up and speak to them and they wouldn't have a clue who Azo Network were. But we, we ran 10 sites, um, Azom, News Medical, uh, Azo Nano, etc. All very, very specific niche, subject-specific sites, industry-specific sites. Yeah. And they, they'd know about Azom or Azo Nano because they've been around for years. But Azo Network was still a relatively new site that we created. And it was something that we did struggle a lot with brand awareness. Um, but now, well, now it's, it's um, like I say, tens of thousands of people on, on the site every month. That's very cool. It's, it's great that we've, we've been able to build up that brand awareness. And we, we've done it with a, a lot of hard work and, uh, and cr creating quality content, which is now in the form of a podcast that we're on right now. So, yeah. <laughs> What would you put it down to? Would you put it down to the, the quality of content you guys have started creating? Is that what you'd put it down to? Or is there something else you'd give credit to? Um, I'd say it's it's a combination of everything. Um, Buy-in from the whole the whole team. If you're putting your heart and soul into, into content, then you want your colleagues and people to be proud of it. And you want your sales team to be sharing that. And, and so, like you say before, you're not asking for time. You're not asking for a, a specific meeting, but you're, you're just asking that they, they might just read this one bit about someone who was like them in a similar industry. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's things like that. It's, it's basically putting yourself in, in the shoes of the potential buyer or the people who, who are going to be your customers. So you've got to create content for those people. Um, 
and that's that's difficult to do that well is difficult um so you've got you've got to you know a real uh, push on empathy and and just finding out what those pain points are makes sense no it's good it's good what you guys have done and i'm loving the podcast by the way there's some very insightful stuff in there so yeah pretty cool thank you very much um all right so just before we wrap things up how do you see the future as we come out of lockdown i think uh, this weekend we're, we're relaxing the rules a bit mm. um, or last weekend even when this goes out um how do you see the future of high performance sales and marketing and and how do you see the next three to five years whoa that's a yeah that's a that's a big question um I think sales has changed forever, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think COVID-19 has forced our hand in many ways. So digital transformation is something that we knew was coming, right? We all knew was coming, but I, I think it's uh, it slapped us in the face pretty hard. So things like face-to-face meetings will evolve into video meetings or video conferences. Mm-hmm. Walking around management, for example, all of that is going to evolve into metrics and insightful reports. All of that stuff will take its place. Um, so again, you know, all of that stuff is positive, you know, due to the objectivity that it will encourage. Um, you know, where CRM used to be optional, no longer. You know, where remote presentations used to be optional, no longer. Screen sharing, uh, email, call recording, all that sort of stuff, you know. So all that stuff, they're no longer novelties. They're now necessities. Yeah, for doing business in this sort of like, uh, what would you call it? Digitally revolutionized world. Um, even a salesperson who, I guess, who's so used to taking, to doing face-to-face meetings. If we salespeople feel like we can become ready for face-to-face meetings, customers may not be. You know, I imagine customers are going to be thinking, uh, I don't know, is it worth the risk you coming down to see us? Um, so the truth is, I guess every sales leader has known that digital transformation was was on the horizon, but and everyone should have already pivoted by now uh, and adopted a more you know remote selling habits. Mm. Uh, but COVID nineteen has accelerated it for sure. So sales leaders, we've got two choices. You know, we can wait for things to go back to normal, or we can just you know get on. With the with the new normal, uh, and I know what I'd rather do. Yeah. <laughs> so, the the future version of sales, I guess I had a conversation about this recently as well with with some colleagues, and we we kind of broke it down to about like five things that we know um, are going to change in sales. One is digital, right? So we're going to have to start leveraging tools like your LinkedIn, your Zoom infos, your Google Hangouts, Zoom, etc., for remote meetings. A salesperson now has to be able to prepare beforehand, you know, average of two hours or et cetera, preparing for each meeting, you know, have a clear agenda for everyone who's in that meeting because you, you've not got the uh, the luxury of that face-to-face anymore. So it's got to be clear. Everyone who's co- joining this video conference call has to be clear what their role is. Yeah, um, You have to engage everyone on the call as well. So even just using little things like get maybe a colleague on, on the call Maybe like have, if you're an AE, an account executive, maybe help get an SDR to work the chat, you know, in the Zoom while you're on your call doing your demo. The SDR can work the chat for you. You know, all that sort of stuff is going to be key. So the digital revolution, we know it's already here. Um, The second one is like just speed. You know, we talked about it earlier, how one of the main characteristics of a a modern seller is speed. Uh, And that's because, you know, the modern seller, they're always on, you know, they've got to respond to messages and emails very quickly. And the buyer who's also got that millennial mindset, you know, the perfect answer is not a few days away. It's it's right now, a few minutes from now. So 
yeah, that that's a big one. Speed is going to be another another key change. Um, we talked about self guided buying already as well, you know, and that's one of the major shifts, you know, in the in over the next five to ten years is that the balance of power is shifted from the seller to the buyer. So B2B buyers say that they can, you know, complete about what is it, 62% of their their selection criteria, et cetera, all of that stuff. They can do that online. They don't have to speak to anyone. So again, the role of the salesperson is just to make sure they're there to add value and they're consultative. Um, and uh, yeah, we also talked about instrumentation. So rather than having to check in with your field reps periodically, you know, or, and all that sort of stuff. We've we've got to a point now where we've sort of like fitted every salesperson with like a Fitbit tracker. We can see how many calls they've made during the day. I don't have to call you to get that information. Mm. I can see how many emails you've sent today. I don't need to call you to get that information. I can see that you've got three key accounts that you're working on. And here are all the tasks that you've set for yourself in terms of next steps. I can see the, you know, all that sort of information is there at my fingertips. So, you know, what, what you're doing that's working, we can view that information. What you're doing that's not working, we can view that information. So instrumentation, again, is another key thing. And all of that just helps build this new digital ecosystem and sales ecosystem that we're going to start living in. Yeah. Um, so for me, yeah, those are, that's, that's kind of like where it's going. It's going to be digital. It's all video conferencing. And is the old way coming back? Are face-to-face meetings coming back? I don't know. We'll see. Not for a while, at least. <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree with that on the clear agenda. When, when you're in, in a meeting nowadays, you've got to know what the meeting's about beforehand because only one person can speak at a time because it's not, it just doesn't work otherwise. So you've almost got to be more organized and everybody's got to be on the ball. And when when you do speak, so if you've got 20 people on a call, if you get your sort of 60 seconds to speak, then you've got to make sure that you communicate effectively and clearly. No waffling, basically. So nice and concise. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, but do you think we're going to be missing something uh, in terms of like the face-to-face and is what we're missing worth the risk of, you know, should we say rushing to go back to that, to that way of working? Good question. Only time will tell, but mm. it's the age old debate. I, I still think obviously the relationships are going to pay a huge part in it. And I know at the end of the day when I've been on, you know, eight different calls speaking to different people, I've had my headphones on all day, it gets to you and you don't, that's not, you don't want to be like that all the time. So I know that there's there's relationships to build. I think you're going to savor the the actual physical face to face a lot more, um, and and build those build those relationships and build that network. Very true. I mean, this is you know this is truly an unprecedented time. Um, and we talked earlier about the BIA Kelsey research. Um, that research, which predicts that we're going to get 100 uh, businesses are going to receive 170 billion phone calls um, this year, that research was done prior to COVID. So many businesses have seen a massive spike in phone calls over the last three months. Uh, not all of those phone calls are welcome, of course, right? With many, uh, many consumers are calling up to arrange payment holidays or cancel agreements. So, you know, not every phone call that they've been receiving over the last three months has been welcome. Um, so it's, it's obvious that the pandemic has thrown a lot of confusion, you know, into the most routine of business transactions. Uh, the market is volatile, you know, people are out of work um, and marketers need to be smart you know, with their advertising money. Now, it goes without saying, though, I haven't said all of that, that measuring their return on investment is a must. You know, this is 
clearly not the time to rely on your typical metrics. As I was saying earlier as well, you know, don't get me wrong, your Google Analytics, the keyword tracking, you know, your social media monitoring, in my opinion, are all crucial tools for sure. But those techniques alone, you know, they can actually just reduce your your digital marketing to a to a guessing game. So cold tracking is is it's more important than ever right now. Uh, because although we won't know the true impact of COVID-19 for some time yet, uh, we've already noticed sort of like two emerging trends already. One of them is that customers' needs may have evolved. And the second is that customers are a lot more cautious now. Uh, and that sort of translates to even more questions. Hmm. Right. So if you consider that first trend, you know, that customers, their needs have evolved. You know, the question usually is like, you know, how can you use cold tracking to understand your customers' evolving needs? How can cold tracking help with that? Well, it's obvious that the digital marketing strategy that made sense, made sense in, you know, January, February, March is most likely already obsolete. You know, you can speak to that, Frank, right? You know, our lives have dramatically changed. Um, and during times of uncertainty or during a crisis, people, you know, prefer to talk. So with cold tracking, businesses can use like speech analytics to record and transcribe inbound phone calls to detect when their callers mention the virus and anything that's sort of like related to it. Oh, wow. Yeah. A very basic use is like we just understand the virus's impact on the volume of inbound calls. So you marketers, you guys will be able to see the volume of inbound calls that mention the virus. Mm. And the key here is then to then compare that with the number of non-virus calls just to simply gauge the extent of how the virus is, you know, dominating uh, conversations. If you then take that one step further, so imagine a report that shows you the number of calls where the conversation includes the virus. You filter that by marketing source, you know, right down to keyword level even. You can start to understand the types of calls you are driving and determine if they're the right ones. Mm. You know, and one of the clever things that we've even seen our customers do is like create a, a COVID-19 hotline. So it's like a, a dedicated phone number specifically for customers with COVID-19 queries. And what they're trying to do there is just figure out if that hotline is getting more of the right types of calls, you know, and if consumers are still calling uh, their other phone numbers to discuss the virus as well, you know, just trying to uh, marry those two data sets together. And that's an intelligent way of using it, you know, call tracking. And we didn't even come up with that idea. You know, that was like a, a customer's idea. And then furthermore, you know, and this is where I think if you think about it, if you take this one further step, you can also use call tracking to figure out the impact of COVID-19 on your conversion rates. Imagine a report that's called call quality by keyword for COVID-19 calls, right? So in column A, lists all your keywords. Column B lists the numbers of calls generated by the keywords. Mm -hmm. Column C lists the sales conversions. And then finally, column D has the revenue generated. When you integrate all of that data as well that we're talking about, like that call tracking data mm. into your existing marketing stack, integrating into your Google Analytics, your Google Ads, your Adobe experience, I mean, you can start to, you know, adjust your bid strategies and allocate budget for, you can actually do it for COVID-19 callers specifically because you've got that report. You can see the influence that those callers are, are having. Are they converting or not? You can also segment those callers into audiences. If you can segment your COVID-19 callers into audiences, um, it will allow you to retarget accurately. So if the COVID-19 callers are not converting, you can suppress Google Ads to those guys. Mm. 
Does that make sense? And if they are converting, then retargeting, you want to keep showing your ads to those COVID-19 callers as well. So again, it's just that sort of smart, you know, use of uh, of the data. And then of course, you can then leverage the data for smarter keyword bidding in general, because you now, you've now got visibility of the keywords that are driving conversions uh, and the ones that aren't. So that's just interesting ways that call tracking can be used in this time. Um, we've just launched a new product as well called Ember. Um, at response tap specifically. So this is what I'm speaking about now is specific to response tap, not just call tracking in general, but um, basically Ember allows us to route calls intelligently to the right person in your contact center based off the customer's journey. So a very easy example is, let's just say you're on the Virgin Holidays website and you're looking at holidays to Barbados Mm -hmm. and then you call Virgin Holidays. We can route that call intelligently to a, spe- a Barbados specialist in the contact center without having to press anything on the IVR. This is skipping the IVR altogether. So think about the customer experience here. You call up and we just route the call straight through to a Barbados specialist. So someone rings up and just say, hi, you're through to the Barbados team. Yeah. You're thinking, whoa, you know, straight away, like, like just think about that customer experience and perhaps as well, you can convert better because you're pairing, you know, uh, the right uh, customer with the right agent, if you will. Um, then you've got caller prioritization. So if COVID-19 callers are what you want, if they're converting, then again, you can route those calls intelligently. Um, and then finally, I guess you can report on like unanswered calls uh, and caller experiences in general. Hmm. You know, if COVID-19 callers are calling to complain about certain things, things that are maybe FAQ, perhaps you can add that stuff to the website. So if you know the pages on your website that are driving a bunch of FAQ style COVID-19 questions, you can actually optimize that page and add all of that relevant information to that page. And then of course, you know, um, your customers can, you can reduce the number of noise calls you're getting and increase more sales ready calls, if you will. Yeah. The FAQ page is something, I love a good FAQ page nowadays. <laughs> There's a book called They Ask You Answer. Mm. It's basically, it's the inbound methodology where you might have 50 common questions that customers will ask and you basically take every one of those and answer them online. So you're already smoothing the path. It's that conversion rate optimization all over again. Yeah, no, pretty cool. All right, perfect. Well, I think that just about wraps things up for us today, Oyin. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show and... I can't wait to read your book. <laughs> You're too kind. No, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, I hope that was useful, but I really, I really enjoyed the experience. Thank you very much. Well, there we go. I really enjoyed listening to all that. I hope you found it useful too. Thanks so much to Oyen for providing his insight and to Frankie for a great interview as well. This is the last episode from us for a little while. We're taking a summer break for a few weeks. Do subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you get notified when we come back. We'll have more great conversations with guests from all over the world of scientific marketing. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.